quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Thank you for that image of Wolf, which I will never get out of my head. Anderson, appreciate it. Very well done. I am Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Primetime. Joe Biden got a wake-up call in that first debate and the polls thereafter. So now comes a defining moment. How will the former VP respond? You're about to see as we show you new parts from our exclusive sit-down with the Democratic frontrunner and the multi-millionaire with connections to a prince and president's long rumored to be one of the worst sexual predators. That man is Jeffrey Epstein, and he had quietly beaten the case against him until now. He's back behind bars, and we have someone who's covered the story from the beginning and says the truth of who this man is and what he has done will blow you away. What do you say? Let's get after it. Former VP Joe Biden doesn't do a lot of sit downs, but he did one with us on Independence Day, hoping to set the record straight after a rocky first debate. We tested. He offered some new answers and then an apology followed for remarks about segregationist senators. Now, watching the former VP with his wife, Jill, was even more interesting to me than being with Biden alone. Why? Because the people around a candidate often signal things the candidate does not. Take a look. I appreciate you guys taking this opportunity. Happy to be here, man. Thank you. This time, how is this different for you? Well, uh, it's, you know, I think we uh, knew this was going to be a little bit tougher. It feels a little bit different. Uh, There are so many candidates in the race. But um, so far, it's it's going pretty well. So we've been in, what, two months? And uh, things feel good. Biggest surprise for you so far? Uh, The biggest surprise, I think, was the debate. I think, um, you know, I think probably uh, Kamala was a little bit of a surprise. Um, I think that's the biggest surprise so far. Hmm. Different position for you, fighting from the front, right? I mean, you've been an underdog um, pretty much your whole career. You've achieved amazing things. Um, But what surprises you about fighting from the front? Well, uh, I knew that there'd be whoever's in the front, kind of a target on the back. And I knew that was occurring. And uh, but, you know, what surprised me is the response of people on the street, the people that no matter where I am, there's an enthusiasm and all the talk about hits and the rest. But I keep having endorsement after endorsement. You know, the governor of Connecticut endorsed me, the, you know, the mayor, the leading African-American uh, a person here in Waterloo, uh, not here, but in Waterloo, endorsed me and introduced me, surprised me. A number of African-American leaders have endorsed me. The mayor of Atlanta sought after endorsement. So what I try to do, Chris, is focus. I know this is a marathon. And I try to focus on just my, my feel here, what, what's happening in the street, what's happening when I go out. And uh, it's, been, uh, it's been gratifying. Uh, you know, I, I, I've been surprised not about the attacks, but I've been surprised at uh, the intensity sometimes of the attacks. Uh, Make you second guess yourself? 
No, it doesn't. It doesn't make me second guess, but it makes me decide that, uh, look, this, is a, this race is about the future, man. And we can go back and pick everybody's record apart if you want to go back 20, 30, 40 years. You take it out of context because no one knows the context of the moment. And so it's really easy to distort. It just surprised me a little bit some of the stuff that's come out uh, in terms of the attack lines. And, uh, but I'm not going to go there. Um, and I'm just going to try to look. Barack said it best in another context. He said, you don't want to form a circular firing squad. The only person that wins in that one is, is, is the president of the United States, the guy that's there now. 2016, such a hard decision um, for you. Frankly, at the time, I didn't know how it could have come out any other way. Did you think that Joe Biden had had an amazing run, but that was it in 2016? Did you think that was it? I did, and I think Joe thought that as well. But, you know, once this president was elected, uh, people started coming up to us and saying, you know, Joe has to run, he has to run. And then Charlottesville occurred, and then it sort of got louder. And Jill, you have to tell Joe he has to run. What did that do to you? How did you process that emotionally? Well, I think, uh, you know, I have always said that I thought Joe would be the best president and I've always supported him. And uh, I know where his heart is. I know his values. And I think he's in such direct contrast to what we have now with President Trump. And so as I started to think about it, and our family did, I said, you know what? It's the right decision. Why is it worth it as somebody who grew up in <laughs> politics? You know what's going to be done to him. On his best day, yeah. at his best, running at 105%. Mm -hmm. You know what it's going to be like. And that's just the primary, let alone a general election against one of the most fearsome politicians we've seen. Why is it worth it? It's worth it because it's going to change the lives of so many Americans. I mean, look what Joe can do on education, on climate change, on foreign policy. I mean, everything that he's worked so hard for. And, uh, and that makes it all worth it. You said at a rally... You want to talk big ideas, I'm going to cure cancer. Did you mean it that way? Yeah, I did. Well, what, what I meant was, and what I've said all along, we can fundamentally change the face of cancer. And eventually we'll cure, I think we can be able to cure almost every cancer. We're curing cancers now, Chris. But the thing is that we are devoted to that notion. And there's so much. Think of what we can do in this country if we take the resources that are being wasted now and spend it on significant research on cancer, on Alzheimer's, on diabetes, on so many things. I've been sitting down with the, the so-called PCAST, the scientists used to advise us. We're on the cusp of so many breakthroughs. And what are we doing? We're doing nothing. We're wasting, not doing nothing. The government who can actually rally enormous support and intellectual capacity is, you know, we're tweeting from Normandy about some actress or something. I don't know. It just, it just, it just seems to me, Chris, you, oh, so you know me. I think you know me. I've never been more optimistic in my life about the possibilities of this country. Why? Yeah. We're so divided. Well, by, We can't be together on anything. Well, we can't even get Congress together to help kids on the border. Well, the thing of the matter, the, the, the fact of the matter is that we're in a better position. Our politics is broken, but, 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 but the public's not broken. The point of the matter is that there's so many opportunities. We have the, we not only have the greatest military in the history of the world, we have, we've led by the example of our power all these years. We're in a position where we have the capacity to do so much of the greatest research universities in the world, more than all the rest of the world combined. It's all right there. What bugs me, what bothers me, 
is there's one big roadblock. And I'm not being, I'm not being melodramatic. It's Donald Trump. Donald Trump. And what he's done is everything everybody has done when they try to gain power and break down the barriers. He is trying to divide us in every way, on race, on religion, on ethnicity, across the board. That's the only way he can stay in power. And it has to stop, Chris, because look, if we can't bring it together, we're in real trouble. Yeah, Americans want us to be united. We were just at a rally here in Iowa, and everyone at the rally was saying, we have to work together. We have to solve these problems. They're too big. We have to solve them together. One fight at a time. That's the general election. You have to find a way to bring your party together. And it seems the fundamental tension now is, is Joe Biden the right fit for this party at this time? They're coming at you not on policy, but the way you discuss policy, the phrases you use, that you are not in step with their lingo, let alone where they want to go. Well, let me tell you, I think I'm more in step with the lingo than any of them. I was asked to go into 24 states, campaign for 69 candidates. The rest of them weren't asked to go in those places. You remember I got criticized. I said, we're going to win back the House of Representatives. We went in and beat Republicans head on. We took them on on issues of health care. We went to their neighborhoods and made the case against them. You know, half of it, my dad would say, showing up, making the case. The idea that somehow we have decided that our system doesn't work anymore, which I'm hearing some of them saying, that we're going to, you know, Pack the courts. We're going to fundamentally change the way I'm going to do what Trump did. You know, if we take control, I'm going to go in there and I'm just going to buy executive order. What are we talking about? Look, this is this is the Fourth of July, man. We're celebrating what a group of revolutionary folks did. They put down their life, their liberty, their sacred honor. Why? For a value set. And if we give that up, Chris, we're in real trouble. It was very interesting to hear somebody who wants to be president say, hey, doing everything by executive power is wrong. Let's, it'll be interesting to see if that gets plumbed in this race going forward. Now, with Jill Biden, if you notice there, there is a protectiveness. Of course, she's the spouse, right? That, that's going to be the way it is with, when you're seeing your significant other running. But she gets that her husband has no friends in this primary, at least not while the nomination is up for grabs. And when it comes to that, She's ready to fight by his side. Does it make you feel differently about where this could be headed? You know, I think that they were looking at the past. I mean, the one thing you cannot say about Joe is that he's a racist. Mm. Now, we also have the first comments from the Bidens about their son, Hunter. Now, they've been talking about his mental health struggles. What will they say about it? And could it be something that becomes part of the campaign? Next. President's son, uh, the, the former vice president's son, Hunter Biden, has been a point of scrutiny already in this presidential campaign. But now he represents a much bigger concern for Joe Biden personally. Joe and Jill opened up about their son's struggles with mental health, something that, as we all know, is plagued by stigma in this society. What would they say about it? Will it be part of this campaign? Should it be? The answer. Hunter came out in a magazine article talking about his struggle with mental health. I say bravo for him. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and I'll tell you what, hearing how the campaigns are negotiate, what does it mean, points to a stigma. Nobody would have ever said that if Hunter Biden came out and said he had leukemia, God forbid. Yeah. We'd all be like, oh, geez, you know, I hope he can get the mm-hmm. treatment. I hope you're all right with it. Mental illness? Mental health issue? Oh, what does it mean? How do, what has Hunter's health meant to you? And what do you want it to mean in terms of 
what you put into the campaign about well, it. Well, we've seen the struggle. You know, we've seen the struggle, and we know that uh, most American families are dealing with some sort of, of struggle like we are. And uh, I think they can relate to us as, um, you know, as parents who are um, hopeful and are supportive of our son, and we will continue to be supportive. And I think that makes us more empathetic about helping other Americans. And I think one- He's beat this. Yeah. This kid, I'm telling you, as you know, you knew Bo. Bo is my soul. Hunter's my heart. And Hunter's been through some tough times, but he's fighting. He's fighting. He's never given up. He's the most honorable, decent person I know. And I, I, I read that article, and all I could do is think of, my God, he gives me so much more credit than I deserve so as a dad. But it took enormous courage. I knew yeah. nothing about that article. Nothing about that article. Except he told me toward the end he was having this long interview. But it's a catharsis for him. And look, everybody has to deal with these issues in a way that is consistent with who they are and what they are. This guy's the most generous, honorable man that I know. And I am confident, confident he's going to make it. And uh, look, um, it's, uh, it's it. the idea that we treat mental health and, quote, physical health mm -hmm. as somehow they're distinct. Yeah. It's health. Yeah. It's health. We have to put more money into mental health, whether it's for um, our education system, whether it's for our veterans, whoever it's for, we have to we have to start to uh, look at it, talk about it, and put more money into Talking it. Talking about it is huge. That's why yeah. I bring up uh, Hunter. You've been hearing about your son. You got in this race. You knew everything they could find about Hunter was going to sure. come back and be revisited on you. Sure. Business. We'll see what they do with him having a mental health struggle. But discussing it as something that you can beat, something you can treat, already uh, that's a different dialogue than we're used to hearing. Curing cancer. That would mean so much across so many levels. Mm -hmm. Getting people to accept that mental illness and mental health yeah. awareness is the same as any other malady, that could be huge as well. It's gigantic. Yeah. And by the way, it's doable. Yeah. It is doable. The idea that somehow, I mean, think of all the people out there, Chris, who don't. I mean, one of the things we should be debating in this campaign is health care. Whether or not we have the adequate, and what's the best way to get health care? When Barack and I, when Barack did, I helped, when the Affordable Care Act, we made parity between mental health and physical health. That was a fundamental breakthrough in how we thought about how things should work. So look, I just think the- The party now wants to get rid of the ACA. Medicare for all cannot exist with the ACA. It cannot, and that's why I'm opposed to any Republican who wants to dismantle it or any Democrat who wants to dismantle it. The idea that you're gonna come along and take the most significant thing that happened that any president has tried to do and that got done and dismantle it makes no sense to Four me. Four out of the top five people in your polls right now are on the complete opposite side from you. Well, I understand that, and that's worth debating about. That's about the future. What are we gonna do? I believe they're totally sincere. I think they think they have the right answer. But look, starting over would be, I think, a sin. They say what? you're either all in or it's half measures that don't work. Well, let me removed. tell you something. I, <laughs> I noticed the measures in the Affordable Care Act worked pretty well. Put 20 million people back and gave them health care. Yeah. 100 million people who had pre-existing conditions. You notice none of them are saying they want to do with any of that, right? And you notice none of them are saying that, they, but there are saying they want to, if you're satisfied with your employer-based health care, you got to give it up. Look, we provide a Medicare option. That's exactly what Brock and I talked about in the beginning. Couldn't get it through, though. No, we couldn't get it. But now, now things are changing because guess what's happened? You know, the thing Brock and I would talk about 
God love him, he never took credit that he should have because it was like everything was dropping on his desk. And I said, we ought to make the case that people know what you did. It wasn't until they started to take it away they even realized it was a consequence of what Barack had done. And so now, if you notice, in 18, we went out in all those campaigns. You find the Republicans in, I want to get, a ri- I want to get rid of pre-existing conditions coverage. I want to get rid of... Uh, so it's a different place. Mm. And the, 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 the public's been educated in a way that I believe they've embraced it. And I'm ready to take that on. One more question for you, if you don't sure. mind. You're much more interesting. <laughs> that I agree no. with. One, one, one more question. Everybody um, knows that. You mentioned Senator Harris, the debate. Uh-huh. I'll talk to the VP about that as well. Um, but when you were listing the things, well, here are the things we're going to have to fight against in this. All right, here we are. Uh, this is, they may not think you have this, this, this. You did not imagine, I would think, or I'll ask it differently. Yeah. Did you imagine that one of the things you'd have to deal with early on is whether or not your husband's past is basically bigoted? They can say, I don't think you're a racist, they but... They could say but as, anything, but... as soon but, as that comes out, yeah. the crime bill... Yeah working with people who were seen to be obviously extreme thinkers and bigots themselves, busing. Did you anticipate those? And does it make you feel differently about where this could be headed? You know, I think that they were looking at the past. I mean, the one thing you cannot say about Joe is that he's a racist. I mean, he, st- he got into politics because of his commitment to civil rights. And then to be elected... Barack Obama, and then someone is saying, you know, you're a racist. As soon as I heard those well, they say words, you're not a racist. I but know, but as soon as I stinks. heard those words, I thought, uh oh, what's coming next? And um, I think the American people know Joe Biden. They know his values. They know what he stands for, and uh, they didn't buy it. You don't think that? Well, because you you took a hit in the polls, and some but of the African Americans are coming back up. The polls are coming back up. So we just saw that today. And, uh, and I think the more people get to know Joe, the, the higher the polls will get. Chris, you I want to thank for your time. Ah, thanks. Um, <laughs> he's not sure. Thank you. No, no. <laughs> no, I thanked um, <laughs> the former VP's wife because that was the end of the interview with her. And then obviously the VP and I went on and had an interview. So. Look, there is a long way to go. And the point in campaigns is you don't know where you're going to get hit from. You don't know what it's going to mean. The question is, after this interview, is the former VP, Joe Biden, in a better position or did it cement problems that he has? Our primetime players have the plus minus on Biden at this stage of the race. Next. All right, so we just had another part of our exclusive interview with Joe and Jill Biden. Now, as we all know, it is early, though we did have our first dropout in the race today. Congressman Eric Swalwell, the man who said in the debate, pass the torch, he's done. So what did this interview mean for Biden? Did it change minds? Did it create new problems? Let's bring in Errol Lewis, Christine Quinn, and Carl Bernstein. Great to have you all. Thank Thank you for joining me on set. Don't usually do panels, but tonight is special. It's good to have you. Errol. Uh, after this, better or worse? I think he's, he's, he's better at communicating his message. 
The question of whether it's a winning message is a, is a separate one. But he's he's making clear that he's got some differences with the other candidates. He's making clear that he wants this to be a values based discussion, at least at this stage of the game, that he's not going to come with a blizzard of proposals. And he's kind of making clear that he's he's, you know, without saying so, arguing for a third Obama Biden term that he wants to go mm. back to. So even as he says, hey, elections are about the future and elections are about the future, he's kind of saying, let's get back to where we were. And if you liked where we were uh, before 2016, I'm your man. Uh, I don't know if that's a particularly compelling argument. The polls will tell us the Mm -hmm. performance uh, so far, I think, is telling us that people are looking for something a little bit different. But Biden is making his case. And I I think, you know, he's got some reason to do it. Now, quickly, you're not bringing up the busing, the crime bill or any of that. Do you believe he's satisfied on those issues? Well, look, I look, he's he's going to have a problem with black voters. Um, and it's the, one of his highest demos. Yeah, it, it is. But, you know, it was very high for Hillary Clinton in 2007, all the way up to Iowa. And it all switched, you know, um, right after that. So it's 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 solid, but it's not permanent. Mm. And people are looking around and they're shopping. And that's mm. where I think Oh, that's why Kamala Harris took the shot that she did. And, you know, that was a good execution of a premeditated plan. They Absolutely. had the T-shirts ready to go right after <laughs> yeah, it. That's yeah. politics. And it was interesting to hear from Jill Biden's perspective how ooh, we thought she was a friend. No friends no when you have something friend. they want. Pelosi says everybody has plans. Good point. You know, uh, Pop uh, reinvigorated the phrase. He didn't come up with it, by the way. But the you campaign in poetry, you govern right. in prose. This is about the time for imagination. Is Biden competing, to Errol's point, plan for plan, or is it principle for principle? Is he in step with where the party will wind up? That's the big question. Where do you think that? Well, he's certainly out of step with the far left of the party. There's no question about that. And the challenge often for Democrats in these kind of elections is the primary base is further to the left than the general election primary voter and independent. So it's always a hard line to walk if you're really focused on the general election. No different for Biden than anybody else. You know, what I found curious in the interview was that they're kind. They said, basically, don't look back. This is about the future. Don't look back. But kind of look back because don't forget me and Barack, me and Barack, me and Barack, which if I was him, I would raise President Obama constantly. But you can't have it both ways. Mm. Or can you? Can you? Carl, can you have it both ways? I think the first thing that Joe Biden is trying to do here is to reestablish, especially for young people, that he has a constancy of values and decency throughout his career that might set him apart in a strange way from the rest of the field. And and there's truth to that. It's, It's a singular record. Uh, he's not a racist. Uh, he's he's done terrific things as a public servant. And then there are these anomalous things that play terribly bad with today's Democratic electorate, including the Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas hearings, including the apology that was necessary uh, about Jim Eastland, uh, Senator the Jim Eastland. Senators more, that about. Jim Eastland is more than a segregationist. He is a, he is the epitome of the evil. Uh, of segregation uh, and hate that existed in this country in that era. And nobody embodied it more uh, than Jim Eastland did. Do you think that Uh, it's that his ideas are tired? Is he dated by his time? Joe Biden thinks out loud. I've known him for 40 years. Uh, And and a lot of those thoughts are terrific. Uh, And some of those thoughts you want to say, keep them to yourself. I think that's what what we've been seeing. But I think we got to come back to this is a divided 
Democratic Party. Uh, the soul of the Democratic Party is up for grabs, and we don't know where the hell it is going to go. But you keep uh, having these head heads, Carl, that you got to factor into what the soul versus the head, right? Yes. Uh, well, you got to win. That's yeah. the, but, and the who, Democratic but who can polls. win? But here's what I don't get. So thread this together for <clears> me, all right? Uh, and I really don't get it. It's not conjecture right. for the sake of television. This, I, I really don't get it yet. And seeing all the numbers and even the tabs uh, underneath the polls, I still don't get it. New, 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 new. All the new blood says new, new, new. We're in 70 percent free this, free that. Medicare for all. Nothing else will work. Then head to head matchups. Biden best against Trump. You talk about where the party is. 80 percent says center left. I don't get it. If it's all new, 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 left, 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 then why in head to head does Biden win? And why is the party saying 80 percent center left? Well, look, there, there is this gap. In fact, your brother talks about it quite a lot that uh, in, in politics. Does he have an answer? Got, I got to get him on the phone. Gotta, Maybe I'll waste my time <laughs> you, you should ask him. But look, the the the. Um, the, the reality is, uh, the shorthand is, Twitter is not real life, yes. right? Mm. So there's this noise machine, and we're all hooked into it, and we all sort of, you know, participate in it, and we stir it up, uh, and it tends to skew left, you know? And so when you hear Biden say things like, we don't need to change the, the format of the Supreme Court, well, that's a, a not-so-veiled shot at Buttigieg, who's half his age, and is talking about putting, you know, 15 members on the Supreme Court in some kind of complicated uh, scheme that makes a lot of sense maybe to younger people who don't necessarily have... The, the awe and respect for institutions that a Joe Biden does. Mm -hmm. And so it's his way of trying to sort of remind everybody. You know, the, the reality is the performance, both in the midterms, what all of the polls yeah. tell you, it'll it'll play out. We I think we can be confident it'll play out in the primary process as well, is that, yes, this is not a far left party. The Democratic Party is not a far left party no. when it comes here's, to, to here's what It's got I think. a very strong progressive wing, though, yeah. that right loud. now, that right now is, is ascendant. Uh, and one the question, media is amplifying think, that think part, of this you know? question well, the, in terms media. of Joe Biden. Can any Democrat who voted for the Iraq war win the presidency mm. uh, or win the nomination? I, I, I haven't seen a lot of talk about that. I think that that, that mm. for instance, play that with young voters, play that against Donald Trump. That seems to me is the kind of thing. Forget the polls right now. The polls are a snapshot for for a moment. Mm -hmm. There is a titanic struggle going on. Uh, and and we got to look at each of these issues and how they hit people in the gut, particularly in those few states that this election is going to well, be decided now, on. Go ahead, and Christine, button people. it up for us. Yeah, as, as an operative, a former operative, I'm most concerned about the Biden campaign that, and I believe Dr. Biden, they were surprised by what happened with Senator Harris. They should have known Busing was going to be an Achilles heel. And after the comments about the segregate, uh, segregate uh, senators for se segregation, they should have been more prepared. I think they should have known Kamala had been bussed. I'll give them that. But to not be prepared for the busing question, the staff's mm. got to get their A game going. Well, look, you got you got rust. You got that you haven't been in it or you've got that you're just not ready for this particular fight. That's an open question. But here's what I do suspect most. I don't think we have any idea what's going to decide the Democrat nomination yet. I agree with I that. I think by this time point. next year, we will have had an entirely different conversation about something that emerged that we didn't know would matter that much back now, but it will. Yes. So we'll see what that is, and we'll see it together. Thank you very much. Thank Errol, you. Christine, Carl, couldn't have better people on a night like this. All right, one big story down. Another one that you have to dig into. Jeffrey Epstein had appeared to beat his case. This is back in the early 2000s, 2008. The man who cut that deal with him, that was his job then, is now the Labor Secretary. 
He's got supporters that are part of this administration. They say that was a tough deal. It was actually an okay, fair deal. Now there's a new crop of federal prosecutors. They feel differently. Epstein was just indicted, accused as a serial child predator and trafficker. What you need to know about how we got here and how far this may go. Next. Jeffrey Epstein, two things you got to know at the onset. Made his money in the shadows, but had lots of powerful pals in the spotlight. He stands accused of using that money and those pals to hide his crimes. So the reach of what and who this case touches now may be dramatic. Federal prosecutors in New York said the defendant is a registered sex offender and a continuing danger to the community who faces devastating evidence supporting deeply serious charges. Like what? According to the indictment unsealed today, between 2002 and 2005, Epstein paid girls as young as 14 to have sex with him. He worked with employees and those around him to lure girls to his home. He even allegedly paid his victims to recruit other girls. But a lot of that, really most of it, was said back then. So what's new now? Why the new indictment? After his arrest, federal agents searched Epstein's Manhattan mansion. They found what they call a vast trove. Hundreds, possibly thousands of lewd photographs of young-looking girls. Who knew about him back then? Who helped? Who came forward since then? A lot of somebodies were around this man. Our current president joked about Epstein in 2002. It's about the same time former President Bill Clinton and Britain's Prince Andrew were flying around on the world, uh, flying all over the world with Epstein on his private plane. While Clinton's spokesperson put out a statement saying he knows nothing about the allegations and explaining his trips, he's not alone. Epstein's social circle is said to include Harvard professors and administrators, Nobel Prize winning scientists, actresses, actors, philanthropists. So who's who? Wealthy and powerful people. Connections and money paid off in the past, most notably in 2008 when Epstein was gift wrapped with the Miami Herald called, quote, the most lenient sentence for a serial sex offender in U.S. history. What was it? 18 months, 13 served during those 13 Six days a week, 12 hours a day at the office. All allowed. You've never heard anything like that, me either. The man who signed off on that deal, Alexander Acosta, he was a U.S. attorney in South Florida. He is now the U.S. labor secretary in President Trump's cabinet. So what changed? That's that nagging question. Earlier this year, a federal judge ruled that the Department of Justice violated the law by failing to confer with Epstein's victims about the deal. We covered that development. That shines a bright light on now. A full accounting of that case will almost certainly be part of the scrutiny surrounding these new allegations, including any new crimes that don't date back to the early 2000s. This time, it may be different because despite all the years of reporting, there's something rare going on here. Your attention is on this case. It wasn't last time. Now, my next guest tried to warn the world about Epstein more than a decade ago. She says the man threatened her and was able ultimately to silence her. But no more. What happened then? What changed? Vicki Ward, next. Look, we all suspect that money can matter when it comes to consequences in this society. And if so, Jeffrey Epstein could be exhibit A. How did someone with all that proof of real prurience at a minimum get such light treatment? Vicki Ward says she knows the deal and has been on to this man since 2003. Good to see you on primetime, as always. Thank you, Chris. So back then, you say he tried to intimidate you, mm-hmm. silenced you, was effective doing so. How so? 
So at the time, very few people knew who Jeffrey Epstein was. He was this mysterious guy who lived in the biggest private residence in New York. No one knew how he made his money. He didn't really go out. But he did have this very influential uh, affluent circle of friends that you've mentioned. Um, he had I, he caught our attention when I was at Vanity Fair because he flew Bill Clinton on his plane to Africa. Um, so I was trying to find out really the source of his uh, money. And I discovered he was not what he said he was. He certainly was not a hedge fund guy. He was not a money manager for billionaires only. He wasn't trading. What I did discover is that he had been mentored by a man named Steve Hoffenberg, who was at that time serving a 20-year jail sentence for masterminding uh, then the biggest Ponzi scheme in American history pre-Bernie Madoff. Mm. But we've never heard anything about an investigation of his money. Well, no, because my story, uh, when I was reporting, also... Uh, I, you know, he was known for throwing parties to which lots of billionaires came, lots of academics, lawyers, important people. And there were always these young girls. I mean, in a way, the Jeffrey Epstein story has always been in plain sight. He flaunted right. these very young Just to be clear, we're girls. not talking about 20-somethings in no. a 50, 60 young, teenage, and below. Absolutely. Many at that time, you know, people would talk to me at the parties, they often didn't even speak English. Mm. Um, And there was always a sort of nod and a wink. Oh, well, we we don't, you know, we don't ask what Jeffrey's really doing with them. But two young women did talk to me on the record about their experiences with Jeffrey Epstein. One of them had been 16 at the time she claimed that he allegedly assaulted her. Her sister had been a little older. Their mother also went on the record. Their characters were vouched for by several sort of really well-respected New Yorkers, including the artist Eric Fischel. Um, Jeffrey Epstein would call me up all the time and ask how the story was going and what did I have on the girls? What did I have on the girls? And uh, he would say to me, you know, Vicky, if I don't like the way this story turns out, uh, something bad is going to happen to you. Something bad is going to happen to your unborn children. I was pregnant with twins. Um, And then he would say, and by the way, that's off the record, and sort of laugh. Um, As the story went through serious fact check, serious legal fetting, he suddenly appeared uh, in the the magazine's editor's office. Uh, He and Graydon Carter, Vanity Fair's then editor, had a private conversation, after which the, 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 the women were removed from the story. Graydon told me at the time that Jeffrey says he's very sensitive about the women. It should just run as a financial piece. There had been some negotiation of Jeffrey Epstein in return uh, for taking the women out, said that uh, Vanity Fair could use photographs of him, including a picture of him in a bathing suit. What's the defense of Graydon Carter's decision at the time? That he we didn't understand no, the true scope of the story? He has said, I, I believe today, he has said that he didn't think I had the reporting. Well, I think the women, the women were afraid who spoke to me and their mother and everyone around them felt that when they were cut from the story, that this was proof that Jeffrey, they were no match for Jeffrey Epstein. He was too powerful. It's exactly what all Jeffrey Epstein's victims have been saying 
all this time. So what do you think changed this time? Because as we were talking about the indictment today, when you look at it, uh, unsealed today, it is a litany of all the things that I've heard before. The only difference is who will stand behind the allegations. So I think the culture has changed. And I think very importantly, the light that uh, the Miami Herald shed on the victims' stories that were incredibly poignant and incredibly credible. Remember, back in 2008, Alan Dershowitz told Alexandra Acosta, you know, and told journalists he was going to make mincemeat of these women. Well, I think in the, the Miami Herald showed that they were credible and their stories were awful. And what happened was that Congress reacted Ben Sass, the Republican from Nebraska, should get a big shout out for teaming up with the 15 Democrats who said, wait a minute, how could this have happened? How could there have been this miscarriage of justice? They went back. Where was that back in 2008, by the way? There you was know, that's it, part of the this point. story who made the phone calls, because that wasn't the Trump administration. Acosta's Correct. in the Trump Correct. administration now. But this was a long time ago. This was like, you know, in Clinton land. Right. You know, where did this happen? I mean, you know, he, he was friends with Clinton. Then you had Bush. Then you had Obama. I mean, you know, there are a lot of different administrations that overlap here. Who made phone calls to whom to get Epstein this deal? Well, the one in 2008. Yeah. Well, Acosta was asked about this, interestingly, um, right. during uh, the transition. Yes. You know, is Epstein going to be a problem during your confirmation hearings? And he batted it away and said, no, no. Uh, I, I had one meeting over Epstein, and actually I was told that was above my pay grade. Right. To, he's to a, let it, to he's let had it go. defenders come on the show here, and they make the same case. That yeah. First of all, he did what he could. This was not as easy as people think it is. Yeah, but I think that that's clearly not true. First of all, you know, as as you know, you have to give a shout out to there was a lawyer um, from the area, Bradley Edwards, who represented many of these mm-hmm. victims. You know, the second that that plea deal um, was announced, Bradley Edwards is the one who sued on behalf of the victims to get it to, to, get, to, to come and out, said to this, unseal it. Well, no, and said this is a breach of the law. This breaks what's right. called the the, 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 the the crime victims' rights act. You, right. you can't strike a deal with that without telling the victims. Right. So I think that this story has played in plain sight, Chris, throughout all those administrations. What's been missing is the outrage. Finally. Congress has acted, which is, I'm sure, why the FBI felt emboldened, along with it's interesting that the, the, the cor- public corruption unit is involved, because that suggests bribery, possibly, mm. somewhere. Well, look, we'll keep an eye on it now. It's good that people are focused on it. We're going to benefit very greatly from the context of your experience from back then all the way until today. And we'll see what new names emerge that we give will. new context to the allegations. Vicki Ward, thank you very much. Appreciate it as always. All right, so from the worst of people in the U.S. to talk about to the best. Did you see the women lead us to greatness again in the World Cup? What a wonder that team is. Let me ask you something. Why aren't the dollars falling the way the confetti will to celebrate them? That's the closing argument. Next. USA, USA, our woman put us on top again. The women are the best in the world. They did it with signature American strength and swagger. Black, white, gay, straight, all as one kick-ass squad. Four championships makes Team USA the victor in half the women's World Cups ever played. What else is approved? 
we can come together when it matters. Even Twitter had one voice about the women's winning ways. When we combine our different faces from all these places, we are often more than the rest of the world can muster. So cool for mine and all your daughters to see this and see themselves in those champions. But the win also highlights a challenge, and we should use this moment to do something about it. Listen. Not USA. Equal pay. Equal pay. You probably know 28 members of the team are suing U.S. soccer, claiming gender discrimination. Last week, members of the House Democratic Women's Caucus sent a letter to U.S. soccer, noting in part a woman player's base salary is approximately 30 grand less than her male counterparts. Now, you Google this, you can complicate the analysis, but it really seems to hide the simple reality. Look at it this way. If the men's team had won it all last year, each player would have earned more than a million dollars. Okay, each. The women get less than a fifth of that, and they made it all the way again. Check out the TV ratings, up 20% from last year's men's final. Days before this weekend's victory, Nike said the woman's home jersey is the top-selling soccer jersey ever, no matter the gender. President Trump is involved here, too. He's been feuding with star forward Megan Rapinoe. Uh, The latest is this. He has praise for them. Good for him. No formal invite to the White House, though. Here's my argument. This is a great opportunity for this president and for the team and for women and for the country. Invite the women's team. They dominated the rest of the world. It would be the best application of the slogan, America first. Sure, Rapino might take a pass. Others on the team may as well. So what? That's their choice. This is America. The team won on the biggest stage. The president should showcase them. He should call on U.S. soccer to pay them equally. Own the bully pulpit. You love the bully pulpit, Mr. President, and this is a time all of us would want to hear what you say. It would be a great thing for this president, the team, women, and the country. Simple argument. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call me country. Beyonce and Nashville's renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.